Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. Later you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. And we're back studying soteriology, the study of salvation. Remember, we started this last week. We're talking about difficult passages of the Bible. And oftentimes it's difficult to understand how was it that those uh, saints of the Old Testament were saved and able to just look forward to the hope that we have in our understanding of Christ. And so in this study, we're going to be talking about some general aspects of salvation. We're talking about some of those tonight. We're going to be talking about salvation in the Old Testament. We're going to talk more about that. We started that last week. And then what are the dwelling places of the saved dead? Specifically, what about those Old Testament saints? Where did they go? What happened to them when they died? Next week, God willing, we're going to get into election and talk somewhat about election and what that refers to, what that's all about. Uh, and we'll be looking at that for a couple of weeks because there are many, many questions and different ideas regarding election. And then we're going to be going through talking about security of the believer. Is this something that you can turn down? Is this something that you can lose? Is your salvation something that you can just pick up and drop off? We're going to talk about that. Then also, because we have a problem in our churches today that some believe there are only saints in the church, I believe that that's a real heresy that leads to something that is today called New Lightism. And so we have to be very careful for this teaching. We're going to look at that. Also, what about baptism? Baptism, is it essential for salvation? Also, the baptism for the dead. First Corinthians talks about that. What does that mean? What, is, what was he talking about there? And if you have questions, because we're trying to break down difficult passages in clear, concise meanings so that it's easy to understand because I believe that the Bible is made for you to understand. It's easy for all of us to understand if we take the time and break it down. And the purpose for that, of course, is that you can have the assurance that the Bible is true, trustworthy, and you can give an answer to those who maybe will be asking of you. Remember, we want your questions. Now, right now we're virtual, but uh, the next couple of weeks we're going to be live. And so if you have questions, you can ask them by Facebook or uh, you can email us at the church at lmbc209 at gmail, or you can send it to me at paul at landmarkstockton.com, either of those, and we will get to those the following week. We'll answer your questions. So we're trying to do that on a timely basis because your questions are important to us. All right, let's get right into the lesson tonight and see uh, what we'll, uh, how we'll 
look at some things as we're continuing in the book of Hebrews tonight. We're going to go through several different passages, but I'll try to give them to you here on this uh, PowerPoint presentation. It's important to understand there is only and has only been one way of salvation. Salvation for Adam and Eve and for the very last person that will be saved is by faith through grace, not of works, lest any man should boast, the scripture tells us. And so it has always been through faith. We talked about that at length. Uh, Hebrews 11 talks about that. How by faith uh, this one came and that one. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith uh, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. By faith he forsook Egypt, fearing not fearing the wrath of the king, for he en endured as seeing him who is invisible. So many times, over and over, we can see in the book of Hebrews. We're going to look some more at that at the close of this uh, series. In the Old Testament, they put their whole trust in what God had revealed to them. Now, many of them only had limited knowledge. They only knew what they knew. And so, from the time of the, uh, after the sin, when God killed animals, in order to cover Adam and Eve, that was the beginning of sacrifice. So in the book of Genesis, you find they began offering blood sacrifices to the Lord. And then, under the law of Moses, they expressed their faith by bringing blood sacrifices again to God, keeping the feast days, and all of the many, many laws that were found in the uh, law of Moses. Today, the Jews recognize some 633 laws that must be kept. So all of those, they were striving by faith. Now, we understand that the law only brings us to Christ. It shows us how we can't do it on our own. And so it's important that we recognize that uh, they also, by faith, they weren't saved by bringing sacrifices. They weren't saved by uh, keeping certain holy days. They were saved by their faith in God. And that's what Hebrews tells us over and over again. So they put their whole trust in what God had revealed to them. And think about Rahab. We're going to talk about Rahab from Joshua chapter 2 a little bit. Because Rahab was not of that line that uh, had been raised knowing God. But look at what she says, beginning in verse 9 of Joshua chapter 2. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when, uh, when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings. Now, I'm going to stop real quick before we keep reading. 
because remember it was almost 40 years before that God had dried the Red Sea that Israel could escape Egypt and walk out on dry land. And so it says, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Wow, that's what Rahab thought. She recognized that the mighty works of God, and she put her trust. We're going to let's keep looking. Let's look some more because she expresses this faith. And of course, because she goes with the Israelites and becomes part of the lineage even of Christ, we're going to find that she learned much more, but she put her trust in this God who was the God of heaven, their God, the God above and the God of the earth beneath. And so she says, Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Notice at that point, she's not asking for herself, except that she says, deliver our lives from death. But she's concerned for her father, her mother, brothers, and sisters. Now, I wonder, because Rahab was a harlot, what did her parents think of her? What did her brothers and sisters think of someone like that? And yet, she was changed because she recognized the mighty works of God. She did not know much about Israel's God, except that he was the God of heaven and the God of earth. She knew that this was the true God, that there were no others. Now, there were many other gods in the lands, but by faith, Rahab believed God, and she trusted. And that's why she asked the spies that she had took in, the two spies, swear to me by the Lord. You see her faith. You see that she was trusting in that. Over and over in the Old Testament, you find people having this kind of faith. And it was by grace. You see, Titus 2 and 11 says, It is the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Now, we've talked a lot about faith, but what about grace? Well, that is a necessary basis. It is the motivation that brings the experience of salvation to the individuals. It is the uh, idea that God's grace alone is the... Uh, uh, no one was ever saved other than by grace. And we're told in the New Testament to grow in grace. That is part of our salvation. That's called our sanctification. That is called living it out, living your salvation out. And 
we must then continue to grow and our salvation grows really in that sense. We grow in grace because we become more and more like Christ. And so as we talked about last week, salvation was past tense. That point when you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is present tense and it is that sanctification, that growing now that we're talking about, that we grow in grace, that our salvation is present tense, and yet it is future tense. It's future because of where we will be, that we will have the fullness of salvation one of these days. So grace then becomes an intricate, not just an important part, an intricate part in the doctrine of salvation. Let's think about that because there, it, it, it's difficult to have a, a rigid definition, as I say, but the concept of grace is found everywhere, Old and New Testament. Everywhere someone is saved, there is grace. So the conception that all a child of God has or is, is centered exclusively in God and Christ, depends utterly on God through Christ. That's how we're saved. So, the Greek word charis originally meant to make a gift. And it's the idea now of forgiving a debt, forgiving a wrong. That's become included in the idea of grace. Well, it came to include the forgiveness of sins. God's grace has been upon the world since the beginning of time, since man's sin, I should say. The source of grace always begins with God, and it's more his response than, uh, than our anything that we could do. There is nothing we can do to get grace. Grace is given by God. It's more, as it begins with God, it's more than his response uh, to man's request for salvation. It is his forgiveness of sins. And so, grace is really an attribute of God. That's what allows him to save sinful mankind, that he would overlook our sins. Even though we deserved punishment, it's his grace. Because of our faith, we move then into the realm of God's grace, that attribute of his that permits him to save sinful man because someone paid the price, Jesus Christ, as we're going to be getting into and looking here in just a moment. And so, Scripture doesn't limit grace to the New Testament. We find it much in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word for grace is hen, and it is that no one can show hen to God, for no one can do God a favor. It is certainly a one-way uh, 
street. Grace comes from God to us. It is applied to us. Now, we can show grace to one another, but we can't give grace back to God. Salvation never has or will exist apart from the grace of God. And so, it is not of works. We understand and we can wholeheartedly agree on, on this beautiful truth of the Word of God. And so, as we think about salvation in the Old Testament, as we're thinking about grace, no one has ever been saved other than by grace, through faith. Since mankind was banished from the eastward garden, no one has ever returned to the divine favor by their good works or anything that they could do. They were only brought through the sheer goodness the grace of God. Wherever grace is found and found any man, it's always by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember we talked about last week that those Old Testament saints were saved by their faith. What God had revealed to them, they trusted. They didn't realize. They did not know that maybe they were looking forward to Christ. They were looking forward to God's promise. Many of them, like Rahab, and that's why he wanted to use her as, a, as an example, she didn't know anything about the coming Messiah. All she knew was that Israel's God was the God of heaven and earth, and he could be trusted. Now, later she learned of the promise of Messiah. Later she learned and even became in the a lineage of them. But wherever grace found any man, it was always by Jesus Christ. And so that's why we can say that no man is saved apart from Christ. Now, that's uh, think about that a little bit, because grace didn't wait for the birth of Christ in the manger, did not wait for his death on the cross before it became operative. Grace was always there. As they were looking forward. And so, in this sense, the Old Testament saved were looking forward to the redeeming work of Christ, even though it hadn't been fully revealed, even though they did not understand what Christ was going to have to do. We remember many of those around Christ, uh, they thought he was bringing in the kingdom. They did not understand that it was going to take this, the death of Jesus to bring about our salvation. They did not understand the full aspect of the redeeming work of our Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So, now we look back on it. We have the full revelation of God. We can easily understand this. But they were looking forward to that, not having that revelation, not understanding all of those things. But always and in every age, people came and now come by grace through faith. It's always been the same. Whether or not they were praying and looking forward and thinking about a Messiah, or whether they had no idea, they just trusted and believed God. God had a plan for salvation that was in Jesus Christ the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so, last week we saw that the Old Testament believed God through faith, 
as he had revealed his plan to them. They only knew what they knew at that point. So let's think about this in Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. Because now we want to ask, what happened to the Old Testament saved before Jesus? And I believe this is what Paul was telling to the church at Ephesus, that he was explaining much to them. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Not this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. In thinking about what Christ did when he died, he went into the heavenly temple. He went on high and he gave him his blood. He offered his blood upon the mercy seat. Then he was able to go into that place. And we're going to be looking at this a little more. He leads those Old Testament saints who had been held in a place called paradise and then leads them back into heaven. Now we're going to see more of what Christ did during that time that he was from earth's perspective in the grave. However, uh, that was a very, very active time for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that because now we see in First Peter uh, chapter 3 that as he has ascended and led captivity captive, gave gifts to men, it says that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And that's how, of course, he has the keys of hell and death. And again, we're going to examine this a little more fully as we go through. So in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being but be, but excuse me, made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So that's what he did. He went into that place of paradise, preached to them, explained the entire uh, uh, gospel and what it was going to take to all of those that before did not have that full revelation of God and God's word. And so now he is, now for the child of God, when we die, we immediately go into the presence of God. Well, we're going to examine that a little more. And here, of course, we see that baptism is not that which saves us, uh, 
but it is the answer of a good conscience towards God. Remember, it was by faith through grace that man is saved. We're going to talk more about baptism in upcoming lessons. So, <clears throat> from the days of the early church, it's been taught that Jesus, while we saw him from this place in the grave from an earthly perspective, he now as our high priest, as I read from Hebrews 9 as we started, he first entered into the heavenly temple. He applies his blood upon the mercy seat. And Paul tells us he led captivity captive. That's a quote from Psalm 68. Then he goes to that place that we see in Luke chapter 16. Remember Abraham and uh, the poor man, the beggar, and also the rich man, Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, they are in that place that the Jews considered Sheol. They just knew it as the place of the dead, the unseen dead, wherever it was that the dead go. And so that was that place. And of course, there in Luke 16, there's a great chasm between those that are in agony and the pits of hell as the rich man was and Lazarus there in paradise. Today, that's no longer so. We're going to see why. Because Christ led captivity captive. He took those they could now enter because the blood had been, been applied in the heavenly temple on the mercy seat. So, Jesus then, according to 1 Peter 3, preached to those that were awaiting the final once-for-all offering in the heavenlies. And then they are carried away into the presence in, of, of Almighty God. They are now allowed full access into heaven. They were saved, but they were looking forward to the second Adam, Christ, fulfilling all of the uh, laws and being that perfect man for us. So in that time, Jesus also enters Satan's domain of hell. He takes the authority, the keys of hell and death. We see that in the book of Revelation. All authority is given unto Christ. And so this is no longer, it's, it's the Lord's world. It's going to be his, but uh, Satan, of course, is still the God of this world. So Jesus apparently preached to those who were awaiting the final once-for-all offering in the heavenlies, those saved believing ones before the cross. He shared the plan, the purpose of God. He shared God's plan of salvation, how Christ was from the foundation of the world, he was given as the lamb slain, one that is innocent must die for the guilty. That was God's plan. So now they entered heaven to be with the Lord. That's why for us, that once we see the Lord, we will always be in the presence of the Lord. So Paul tells us to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's our hope. That's what we look forward to. We don't have to worry about going to a, a another place where we're alive, we're conscious. But apart from God, no. Now, because the blood has been applied, Christ has seated himself at the right hand of the Father. Now, uh, we enter boldly into the presence of God because of the 
grace of God, by faith we enter into that place. So, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, had completed the plan of salvation. He was the perfect man. He was that sacrifice that was given from the foundation of the world, seated at the right hand of the Father, because his work is complete. No more to be done until he returns, of course, and takes this kingdom, this world, and brings his kingdom for a thousand years. Now, awaiting the final judgment, all authorities, powers, all peoples, all nations will be brought before him, and as the scripture was said, that they will be made his footstool. Let's get into the book of Hebrews a little bit. We're going to talk about some things in this line because we're looking at Hebrews 11 and chapters 12. And we understand, we talked about this last week, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Hebrews really begins by revealing of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Verse 2 in chapter 1 tells us, whom also he made the worlds, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he made, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So now chapter 11 of Hebrews talks about those of faith that went before us and held to the great truths, that long list of Old Testament sins. All those who were moved by faith in what God had shown them or asked of them, and many of them gave their lives. They were looking forward to a better city. They were looking forward to a better place, better uh, inheritance, better promises, whatever it might be. They knew that God's word was true, what he had revealed to them, and they had faith in God. So in chapters 12, chapter 12, it starts out, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now let me just mention and I've heard this a lot of times that there is a mega stadium in heaven and all of those uh, saved that have gone before are watching all of the events on earth. That's not what this verse teaches. Verse, this verse 1 of chapter 12 tells us all of those from chapter 11 were our witnesses of living by faith. Their lives expressed how to live by faith. They're not watching us. They don't care what happened because this world is so filled with sorrow and harm and hurt. There's only holiness. No sin can be touched in heaven. They're with the Lord. They're not watching you. They're not watching me. It's maybe nice to think that old grandma and grandpa went on to be with the Lord and now they're watching over us. They're watching and paying attention to the Lord. There's so much more. They're looking forward to our coming, yes, but 
They're certainly not there watching over to see uh, how you're going to live your life. And so that's what makes us recognize looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. All of those of chapter 11 lived by faith. That's why we are included and, and encouraged, excuse me. That's why we are encouraged to lay aside those things that ensnare us. Run the race of endurance. This isn't a sprint. This is a long race. Have you ever run a, a long distance? Have you ever, my kids do marathons and they have to train because you can't uh, just take off at full speed and expect to make it to the end. You have to pace yourself. You have to learn to run that race and recognize that it's Jesus who is going to walk beside you, run beside you. He is the author, the originator, the finisher, the one who will bring you to completeness of our faith. That's the hope of faith that we have in all of this, that he's the one who's going to do it. Isn't that really what chapter 12 has talked about? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Next week, what does the Bible teach about election? Does it teach election? Well, certainly it does. And we're going to see it in the right perspective because there are many, many different false ideas. And then, if so, what does it mean in relation to your salvation? Did God choose you to be saved and others to be lost? We're going to examine those questions for a week or two and really get involved with that. But in closing, let me just say, I want to encourage you to live by faith. It's the grace of God, but we don't want to take God's grace uh, and trample on it. We don't want to just say, well, God's going to be gracious to me, therefore I can just do this or that. No, all of those that lived by faith, they were looking for better things. Today, I want to Thank you for listening. You we hope you've enjoyed the message. This we trust you've been encouraged, challenged, day, or generally built up spiritually. Christ, if this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, Please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider that. Consider that how hated he was and discouraged we might become and weary we might become, but we have not yet had to give our lives as Christ did. Now, maybe one day we will, but for right now, we need to just live by faith, trusting him day by day, asking God's help every morning, every evening, day by day, looking to see what he would have us to do. All right. I hope that this has been an encouragement and a hope, a source of help